0: Isaiah chapter five and John fifteen, yes. Isaiah chapter five and again, follow along if you can. I talk way too fast. I know I'm Italian and I talk way too fast, but uh, forgive me. Um, but uh, I've been for twenty two years. I've been trying to keep teenagers awake at seven a.m. So it's just I light myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. All right. So anyway, Isaiah chapter five and John chapter fifteen will be in Isaiah chapter five first. We are working through the book of John as slowly as I can, Um, but we're going to start in Isaiah 5 here today, all right? Isaiah chapter 5. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right, all right. So Isaiah 5 is where we'll start. Now, you probably heard the phrase dropping the ball, right? Have you heard that phrase? I know you have. I'm not going to make you do a show of hands. But the phrase dropping the ball means... You made a mistake. You missed an opportunity. Uh, The phrase originates from baseball. Baseball fans. When a fielder fails to catch a ball, he's charged with an error. It's a dropped ball, right? Dropping the ball is not a good thing. It's a frustrating thing. It means you missed what could have been something great. And in the Old Testament, Jehovah God, through Israel the opportunity to be the vine for God. Israel had the opportunity to bring forth this amazing fruit for God. In Isaiah chapter 5, the Lord talks about how he was trying to cultivate this nation to bring forth fruit for him. Look at Isaiah 5, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it, gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress therein, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard? that I have not done in it. Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth, wild grapes? And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that there rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry. So if you look at verses two to four, the Lord gave Israel every opportunity to bring forth fruit for God. He said, man, he says in verse four, what more could I have done for you? What more could I have given you? He's like, I put you there. I protected you. I gave you all this stuff so you could bring forth grapes that would bless me and be sweet for me. And you brought forth this wild stuff that I can't eat, that I don't want. And he says, you know what? I'm just going to break the wall down and let just people trod you under their feet. Yikes. And in verse seven, he says, Israel, you dropped the ball. I looked for, he says, Uh, I looked for righteousness, but a cry. I looked for judgment, but oppression. He says, you guys turned to evil instead of turning to God. (laughs) You turned to the wrong ways instead of turning to the right ways. You dropped the ball, Israel. Now flip over to John 15. Think about that in light of what Jesus is going to say here in John 15. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 1. Think about it in the light of the fact that Israel dropped the ball to be the vine for God. And then Jesus shows up in John chapter 15 and says, I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. Jesus Christ shows up to be the vine Israel failed to be. He'd bring forth the fruit that Israel failed to bring forth. Jesus Christ would not drop the ball. Amen? You got a Savior that didn't drop the ball. And you can actually view Jesus Christ's life and ministry as a rebuke to that wayward nation. Because everything that nation was supposed to be, Jesus Christ fulfilled. Everything that nation was supposed to bring forth, Jesus Christ manifested in his life. So you can look at Jesus Christ as just a reproach to that nation, a rebuke to that nation. No wonder they hated him. No wonder they envied him. No wonder they wanted to kill him. And you as a Christian sitting here today, and if you're saved, just say amen. Amen. That's pretty good. That's not bad. We'll work that up a little better. But you can also see the true vine, Jesus Christ, as a challenge to keep yourself from dropping the ball because you're in Christ and you're supposed to learn from Israel's mistakes. So they dropped the ball. I don't want to drop the ball. Do you want to drop the ball? (laughs) We're going to talk about dropping the ball today, and we're going to look at some of the things that Israel was supposed to be, that Jesus Christ was, and we're supposed to be. So let's pray, and we'll, we'll see where this goes. Lord, we love you today. We thank you today. We praise you today. We just pray your blessings upon our time. If there's anyone here today that is not sure that they're going to heaven, Lord, I pray that today might be a day they call upon you and make it sure. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask you to flip around a lot of places in your Bible this morning. We're going to jump around a lot of different places. It's kind of our way. That's the way we learned it from our, our, our founding pastors and our, our elders in the faith because it's uh, some people, they... They, they, they find a verse and they throw a fit. You know, that's, that, that's the joke of uh, if you've been to some places, a guy finds one verse and he says, Jesus wept. And I remember the time that I was playing. Ba-. You know, they just kind of just go off on a story. Well, we try to show you lots of verses so you can see what the Bible has to say and not what I have to say. So I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 45 is where we'll start. And if you can follow along, great. If you just want to listen, that's fine. All right. But if you want to see it for yourself, Isaiah 45 is where we'll start. I want to just mention three things about Jesus Christ that he fulfilled when Israel dropped the ball, right? Isaiah 45. First thing I want to say is this. Number one, Israel was supposed to be special for God, but Israel dropped the ball. They were supposed to be a special people, a peculiar people, God's special elect people, and they drop the ball. Look at Isaiah 45, verse 4. Look what God is saying here. He says, For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, watch that phrase, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name, I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. So in the Old Testament, God chose one nation. He didn't choose China. He didn't choose Italy. He didn't choose, you know, anybody else. God chose one nation in the Old Testament to be, quote, mine elect, my chosen, my special country. He says, I chose you, Israel, this little runt among all these pagan nations. I chose you to be my nation. Why? So you could be special for God. That's amazing. Do you remember what it was like to get picked for something? Maybe to get picked for the dodgeball or to get picked for kickball or to look on the board and see oh, you made the team or to look on the casting list and say you made the play. I mean, isn't that a great feeling to know they picked you, they chose you, they want you. It's like, wow. I remember in in high school, I was a nerd, and I competed in speech and debate. That was like my football. I mean, I lived and breathed speech and debate. I loved it. I loved it like like crazy. My wife knows, and Eli knows, how much I loved it. And you would compete in your prelims, and then you'd stand there, and we would go to Harvard and Princeton and Columbia and you know Emory. I went all over the country for these competitions, and you sit there, and let's say like a Villager or or Harvard, I'm getting the vibe in my body right now. I want to go do some. But you know, you'd sit there after the prelims and you'd wait for them to drop the cuts. They would drop the codes of the people that made it to the finals. And oh my goodness, if you made it to the finals and they chose you and the judges liked you, it was like, oh, you know, you just got so excited. You felt so, you just walked with a swagger. You know, when they dropped those cuts and you made it, you're like, yeah. Did you make the finals? Yeah, I made the finals. Yeah, I'm (laughs) in. You know, you just got so excited to have been chosen, to have been selected by some Dingbat, you know, with a pencil. They said, oh, I like your presentation. You know? But you feel special. You act special. Because you were chosen. Like, wow, they picked me. I'm on the list. Hey, Israel was a special nation. Because they'd been chosen, not by some numbskull with a pencil. They were chosen by God Almighty. Like God Almighty looked at this whole planet and said, I'm going to choose this little runt of a nation to be the nation that I work in. That had to make somebody feel Special. That has to make somebody say, Wow, I should act a little differently because, wow, God chose us. The Bible says in Psalm 135, verse 4 For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his, quote, peculiar treasure. God said, I'm going to take you, I'm going to make you my crown, I'm going to make you my jewel. You're the pearl of great price. But look at Amos to the right a few books. Amos chapter 3. I know the pages might be stuck together over there, but just find it anyway. Amos chapter 3. So, as the chosen nation, as the elect nation, I mean, they should have walked a little differently. They should have talked a little differently. They should have acted a little differently. I mean, man, they had been chosen by God to bring a peculiar treasure unto God. You would think it would have made them adjust their behavior now look at Amos chapter 3. The Bible says this. This is some time after Isaiah, well not contemporary more. It says, "Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt," saying, "You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together except they be agreed. I mean, isn't that a tragedy? Israel had been chosen by God, but Israel didn't want the God who chose her. So they turned to idols, they turned to iniquity, they turned to other gods, they turned away from God, and God's like, you're the only people, I, you're the only family I've known of all the families of the earth I chose you, and you're, you're not following me. What a tragedy. Look at Amos chapter 2, which is just uh, maybe to the left a little bit. Look at Amos chapter 2, look at verse 4. <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments and their lies caused them to err after the which their fathers have walked. But I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Yikes. He said, I'm going to bring some smack down. I'm going to bring some chastening. I'm going to bring some punishment on you. You're supposed to be for me and you're for everybody else. And you say, wow, that seems really harsh. How do you expect the Lord to feel? When his own people forsake him, how do you want him to feel? How would you feel? I mean, those of us who are sports fans, and you got a number one pick, right? This guy's like a number one pick. He either comes out of football or comes out of basketball. This guy's a number one pick. When a number one pick is a bust, everybody gets upset we expected more of him. He's a number one pick coming out of wherever he's coming out of, right? They got this kid now in high school, Cooper Flagg, this amazing basketball player and he's going to Duke next year and everybody's like, oh, he's going to be great. He's going to be great. If he shows up in the NBA and he's a bust, everybody's going to be like, what a waste of time. What a waste of money. What a waste of effort. What a waste of all this stuff we invested in this individual. Well, when the Lord's number one pick is a bust, isn't the Lord allowed to get a little angry? (laughs) Israel was God's number one pick. You're my number one pick. I'm choosing you, Israel. And they just went wayward. They went iniquity. They went false gods. He expected more of them. He'd invested so much in them. Time and energy and love and devotion and all the things God was cultivating in his vineyard. And they just said, thanks for nothing. We're going to go our own way. So what did God do? Go back to Isaiah chapter 42. Go back to Isaiah 42. Don't worry. It's a little teaching and then the hammer comes. All right. Just hold on. Isaiah 42. So Israel drops the ball. So what does God do? Isaiah 42. When Israel dropped the ball, the Lord chose his son to be his elect. He said, you're not going to be special for me, Israel. I got a son that'll be special for me. In Isaiah 42, look at the prophecy. It says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. That's a reference to Jesus Christ about 700 years before he came. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break. Remember that from the Gospels? Remember when they talk about Jesus Christ that way? And the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. Watch this one. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. So when Israel dropped the ball, the Lord said, my son's going to be my elect. And in verse number four, he says this, while the nation might have stepped out on God, while the nation might have failed God, while the nation might have turned to other gods, guess what? Jesus Christ, quote, would not fail. Amen. Woo! That's exciting. Jesus Christ would not fail. Now let me just wake you up a little bit. Aren't you glad you've got a Savior who never quits? <laughs> you got a Savior who never disappoints. You got a Savior who never gives up. He says, he shall not fail. Israel failed. He didn't fail. He's not going to fail. He never failed. I mean, the Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus Christ was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. You know that? You understand how much those things were trying to get him to quit, get him to fail, get him to sin, get him to do this, get him to do that. He said, I'm never going to quit. I'm never going to, that's impressive. That's just impressive. Because you know how easily we quit? You started your diet two weeks ago, right? How's that working out? Right? Great, I'm glad, one of you, right? Some of you, but the ding dong gets put in front of you, and just like, that's just one. <laughs> right, right, Chris Lisa, right? But uh, the Lord says right there, he's never going to quit. He's not going to be like, well, it's just a little. I just lied Once. I just looked once. I just tasted once and said, no, I'm never going to quit. I'm never going to fail. That's quite a savior right there. It says in the Bible of Matthew chapter four, it says, Jesus was led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. You want to talk about opposition. You might have some opposition from the idiot you saw in the mirror this morning when you brushed your teeth, hopefully. But Jesus Christ had opposition from the prince of darkness. Jesus Christ had opposition from the devil himself. I know you think you're all that in a bag of chips, but I highly doubt you've even come up on the radar of the devil, right? Maybe a little bit once in a while, but you think, wow, I'm so special, the devil's after me. You say your name to the devil, he's like, what? What'd you say? Who are you? (laughs) But the devil knew Jesus Christ's name, The devil was hounding him. He left him for a season, but he's up there. He's following him around. He's there in the garden. He's there in the beginning. He's chasing him in the wilderness. He's up there hounding him on the cross. It was a full court press against Jesus Christ, and he never quit, and he never failed, and he never dipped the colors, and never one time stepped back from his heavenly Father. Even when he sweat and drops of blood, he could say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's an impressive Savior. That's a special savior. Hey, if you're trusting anybody else to get you to heaven, I suggest you trade up and upgrade and get the one that never quits. Because you know, you do the sacraments or the golden rule. Guess what? Somewhere you miss, somewhere you're busted, somewhere you fail, somewhere you don't keep going. Jesus Christ is a rock, immovable. You get on the rock, no matter what happens, you're gonna get home safely to heaven. He's that ship. And at the end of his life, you know what God could say of Jesus Christ at the end of his life when he went there on that mountain? This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. He lived three and a half years with the hounds of hell and the points of the flesh, haunting him and tempting him and trying to get him to quit. And he never quit. So at the end of his life, God said, hey, that's the one you need to listen to. He's the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one that said, these things I say unto you, that you might be saved. He's the one that said, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He's the one that said, "Ye must be born again. You're going to listen to somebody? Don't listen to me. Listen to the one that never quit, that never failed, that always pleased God, because he never stopped, his, he never forgot his election. He never forgot And never stopped remembering that he was special for God. That God had set him aside for a purpose. Have you? Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Flip over there. Go to 1 Thessalonians Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm sorry. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's swing it around to ourselves now, okay? 1 Thessalonians, before I launch off like a rocket ship. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse number 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Savior, knowing, brethren, your election of God. Can I just clarify something for everybody? The nation of Israel and Jesus Christ are the only two that are called God's elect in the Bible. They're 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 God's only elect. They're the only two that he chose. So with that said, how come the Apostle Paul calls the church the elect of God? Seems like I'm contradicting myself. The Lord chose a nation, and the Lord chose Jesus Christ to be God's elect. That means you have to be in the nation, Old Testament, or in Christ, New Testament, to be in God's elect. Are you? I don't think you can go back in time and get put into the nation of Israel. That means you better right now be in Jesus Christ. And when you got saved, the Lord took you out of Adam, that he was going to lead you to death, and he put you into Christ where everybody is made alive. That's how you got elect. When the Lord saved you, he put you in Christ, he put you into God's elect, and if God put you into God's elect, guess what that makes you? You're elect now. You're the elect of God because you're in the one that God elected. Right? Look, we go to the bus terminal, perhaps, and in the bus terminal, you find the bus that was chosen to go to Ohio, and you get in the bus that was chosen to go to Ohio. Guess what? You're now chosen to go to Ohio. Because you're in the vehicle, the vessel, that's going to Ohio. You weren't chosen to go to Ohio. The bus was chosen to go to Ohio. You just got in the bus that somebody said beforehand, this one's going to go to Ohio. Oh, I want to get in that bus. I want to go to Ohio. Right, Abby? We're going to go to Ohio. That's the one you're going to. Right? You got in the one that was elect. And when you got saved, if you get in the Savior that was elect to eternal life, you're now the elect of God. Because you got in the Savior that God said gets eternal life. You don't deserve eternal life, but Jesus Christ deserves eternal life. So you got in the one that was predetermined to get eternal life. That means you got eternal life as a gift because you're just riding in the one that's going to go to heaven. Are you saved? That means you're in Christ. You're in the one that's elect. You're in the one that's going to heaven. That makes you the elect. That means you are going to heaven. The question is, Are you living up to your calling? Or are you dropping the ball like Israel? God put you in Christ and, okay, you're in the elect now. You're in the special seat now. You got this special role now. You're in the elect of God now, church. How are you living? How are you talking? How are you acting? Go to Titus chapter two, which is to the right, just a few books, all the T's are together. I get excited. I don't know how to preach calm, all right? Titus chapter 2, I get excited about the maps in the back. I just get excited, right? I get excited about, you know, a basketball game. I should at least get that excited about the Bible, right? I mean, right? Titus chapter 2, verse 11. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Titus 2.12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. In that, the truth, <laughs> t'was grace that taught my heart to fear. <laughs> the grace of God doesn't mean you go out and live like a pig now. The grace of God means, ooh, my Savior blood for that? I should think twice. My Savior got whipped for that? Maybe I should exercise some restraint. My Savior went to hell for that? Maybe I should deny myself a little bit because, you know, he's worthy of at least that much. (laughs) See that? You see that? It teaches us, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, amen, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. God says, I saved you so you could be special for me. Thank so you could be different for me. So you could bring forth some fruit for me. So your works could magnify me. Israel dropped the ball. Are you dropping the ball? Am I dropping the ball? Am I failing that calling? Am I ignoring that calling? Am I just saying, "Eh, I gotta live my life. It's not even your life that you're living. It's his life. He said, look, I just want some fruit out of you. I don't want to steal your joy and ruin your fun and rain on your parade. I just want some fruit out of you. I want some love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. I want to manifest the characters of Christ in you. I saved you that you'd be that peculiar people. Now, some of you are very peculiar. But, but God said, I want you to be a peculiar people, special, different, odd. Embrace it. <laughs> Enjoy it. The world's going to look at you like you're nuts. C'est la vie. <laughs> the world's going to say, you think what? You're doing what? You're going where? You're spending your time how? They're going to look at you like you're crazy. Okay. <laughs> I should expect that. God said, I'm going to make you Peculiar. I'm going to make you different. I'm going to make you odd. I'm going to make you stand out. But amidst the world that says, I just want to be an individual like everybody else, and they're the same stinking automaton of everybody else. They're the same robot zombie drooling at a screen all day long. They're all the same. They're like a bunch of sheeple just following the rams to the lambs to the slaughter, and God says, I saved you so you could see what life is all about. It's like being Neo in the Matrix, right? Like God gave you the red pill. He said, you take this pill. I'll open your eyes up. God said, you got saved by the blood of Christ, which is red, I think. You know what? It opens your eyes up. Now you can be different. Now you can see differently. Are you being special for God? Are you too busy being like everybody else that's on their way to hell and you want to be like them? Like, why don't you figure out what God called you to be and try to be that? That's the first challenge where Israel dropped the ball. I don't want to drop the ball like that. I know I'm odd, but that's not not the odd I'm trying to get at. Just doing right will make you different. Just loving God will make you different. You don't have to dress weird. Just do right, and God will say, there's a peculiar person for me. Let's go to Exodus chapter 4. Let me give you the second one really quick here. I can see some of you are with me. Exodus 4. So Israel was supposed to be special for God, but dropped the ball. Number two, Israel was supposed to be the son of God, but again Israel dropped the ball. Son of God, they were supposed to be the son of God. Look at Exodus 4. You think I'm crazy? Exodus 4, verse 21. Moses getting ready to challenge Pharaoh. You know what she said? You know what he says? Exodus 4:21. And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand, but I will harden his heart, that he shall not let the people go. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son even thy firstborn. The nation of Israel would be the corporate son of God in the Old Testament. The cor- like the whole nation, God said, you're my son. Israel went down into Egypt and ended up in bondage under Pharaoh, this tyrant, this monster, this villain. So you know what God does? Go to Hosea. Hosea. Again, in the Old Testament, some of the pages might be stuck together there, I know, but it's a good day to crack them open. All right, there's more than Psalms and Proverbs. So, look at Hosea. Find Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, and go to chapter 11, Hosea 11. Here's what God did to his son, for his son, that nation. Hosea 11, verse 1. Look what it says there. Hosea 11, verse 1. It says, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt Israel, God chose that nation to be his son, and he saved him out of Egypt. That was an act of love. What amazing love the Lord had for that little nation to deliver him from that monster, that superpower. I mean, Egypt was a superpower, man. You say, what's it like? It's like Taiwan going up against mainland China. Right? Mainland China is this, you know, this big monster, this big empire that wants to suppress and destroy that little nation. And just swallow it up like, like somebody swallows something up. But God saved that little nation. That's what it was like. Israel is this little people in amidst this grand empire that's just trying to take them over. And if you need a comparison, just think about little Taiwan next to mainland China. This big conglomerate with billion, with over a billion people coming up against this little speck that's got like 23 million people in the whole country and they're threatened and they're in danger and God saves that little nation Israel amidst that huge thing. Remember what it was like to know your father would protect you, to know that you were safe just because he loved you. Didn't matter how big the monster looked. Didn't matter how scary the the bully threatened. You know God loved you. And you were safe because daddy loved you. You felt special. You acted differently because you knew daddy loves me. Daddy will take care of me. Hosea 11.1, it says, God Almighty loved his people. You understand that? He adored his people. He cherished his people. He desired his people. And when he saw Pharaoh, that tyrant, begin to subjugate them and treat them like that and he heard their cry, you know what he did? He made a way for them to be saved out of Egypt. That's amazing love. That's such grace. The Bible says in Deuteronomy because the Lord loved you, the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. Amen? But look at verse 2. Look what happened. Do you think that would make you love him back? If you had a dad like that, if you had a savior like that, a God like that, don't you think, wow, I'm sitting here making bricks and they're whipping my back every day and I'm making bricks. And Moses comes up and says, hey, God's going to save you out of Egypt. And then you watch the Red Sea part. You watch Pharaoh's army drown. You watch manna in the wilderness. You watch, you know, all this stuff. You watch the rock bring forth water. You watch all these things. Don't you think that would make you reciprocate with some natural affection? Even a dog understands that. I feed my dog and give him treats. Why? Because I know the dog's going to like the one that gives him treats. So my dog loves me. My kids hate me because I always want to be the one to give them the treats because I know how to get to my dog. And my dog, even a dog can have natural reciprocation because he knows the hand that feeds him but Israel Hosea 11 verse number 2 as they called them so they went from them they sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to graven images God calls them out of Egypt and in the next verse somebody else is calling them Somebody else wants their attention. Somebody else wants their love. Somebody else wants their adoration. So, you know what they did? Sorry, God. And they start worshiping false gods. They start worshiping graven image, images. Instead of honoring their father, Israel dropped the ball and went after other gods. You know, the fifth commandment doesn't just apply to your kids. Exodus 2012 is the fifth commandment honor thy father. That means respect. That means you revere. That's not just for you and your kids. That was supposed to be for Israel and their father. Israel and God. Israel and Jehovah. They were supposed to honor him as their father. He's called their father throughout the Old Testament because he begat them. He saved them. He called them out of Egypt. How do you expect the Lord to feel when he's disrespected by his own son? How would you feel when you're disrespected by your son? I mean, if you're a dad... And you hear your son catch that lip with you. I mean, the Sicilian side of me wants to crack somebody in the face if they when they get like a son gets like that with you. Just it just feels wrong when a son is so disrespectful to his father. It's contrary to everything. And in Malachi one verse six, God says, "If I then be a father, where is mine honor?" (laughs) He's like, I'm gonna date myself. He's like Rodney Dangerfield, right? I don't get no respect. Nobody respects him. Nobody. He goes, the people that I've saved have no respect for me. They have no reverence for me. They don't care about me. I mean, the Lord delivered Israel from the false gods of Egypt. You remember that, right? Remember all the plagues, the locusts, and the darkness, and the firstborn, and like the frogs, and the the flies, and all that stuff that God did? You remember all that? Just, Just nod your head. You remember that? That was God's judgment upon all the gods of Egypt. Each one of those plagues was God just saying, ha ha, to one of the gods of Egypt and just poking fun at the gods of Egypt. Oh, you want to worship the sun god Ra? I'm going to make everything dark. And you know what Israel did to reciprocate that? They decided to follow the false gods of the world. That was the thanks that they gave God. They said, Wow, you saved us from all the false gods. Let's go worship the false gods ourselves. <laughs> that makes sense to you? Is that honor? What disrespect. It's amazing God hasn't wiped us off the face of the earth the way we just spit in his face and just like laugh at his mercy and just take his grace for granted. So what did God do? Go to Matthew chapter two. So Israel didn't want to be God's son. So he said, all right, I'll send my son into the world and show you what this thing's supposed to be all about. In Matthew chapter two, God calls somebody else out of Egypt that he calls his son. Matthew chapter two. Verse number 13, Matthew two thirteen, The Bible says, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt." Have I called my son? See that double application? It applies to Israel, and it applies to Jesus Christ, because they're both God's son. And God said, you don't want to be my son? I'm going to bring another son out of Egypt, and this one is going to have the relationship I wanted to have with you, O Israel. I'm going to have it with my son. And when Jesus Christ is contending with people, in John chapter 8, he's contending with these skeptics. He says, I have not a devil, but I honor my father. Everything Jesus Christ did was in respect and reverence for his heavenly father. Everything Jesus Christ did only brought glory and honor to his heavenly father. In John 8, 29, the father, he says, hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Do you, can you take that in? What kind of savior you got there? What an amazing example of a son Jesus Christ was for us. Jesus Christ was against the nation of Israel. You know the ultimate way to honor your father is to obey his words. My boys can say, I love you, daddy. I love you. I love you. I love you. But if I ask them to do something a hundred times and they don't do it, how deep is that love? Right? Not too deep. It's pretty shallow. It's pretty in tongue and in word, not in deed and in truth. And those people in Israel, they go, oh yeah, we love God, we love God. But they weren't doing what God said. <laughs> and you could see the hammer swinging around in your direction now too, right? Because you could tell, tell me all day how much I love God. You could sing, oh, how I love Jesus all day long. But if you're not doing what God said, how deep is that love? How sincere is that love? Are you honoring your heavenly father if you're saved? Are you trying the best you can to obey his words? Go to John chapter one. You know, because you're supposed to be a son, right? I mean, you're supposed to be in the family, right? Just say, you'll look quiet on me today. Yes? Amen? Right? Are you saved? Let me hear one time. Amen. All right, one more time like you mean it. Amen. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm totally setting you up now. Because in John chapter one, verse 11, the Bible says this about you. About Jesus Christ, it says in John 1, 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, have you received him today? <laughs> but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons, plural of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Man, if you have believed on Jesus Christ, you are in Christ. You are in the son, which means you're a son you're a son. Even you ladies, you're a son because you're in the son. You're in Christ. That's why we as individuals now, not as a corporate nation, but individually, I could say, I'm a son of God. You're a son of God. Even you sister, you're a son of God. Why? Because you're in the son and God's taking individuals and he's putting them in the body of Christ that could be sons of God. Say, I got no power to become a son of God. Of course not. You believe on his name, and God gives you the power to become the sons, plural, of God. How? It says it right there. Even to them that believe on his name. Amen. See, how do you get to heaven? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Amen. Is it that easy? Is that easy. Amen. Are you being a good son to your great father? I mean, you got a father up there that saved you just because you believed what he said. Despite all your devilishness, I just made a word up, all your, all your devilment, all your lies, all your lust, all your blasphemy, all your apathetic, cold heart, all your putting God on the list way down at the bottom, all those things, you disobeyed your parents, you took God's name in vain, you have hatred in your heart, you lusted after people, you've coveted things that weren't yours, you've taken things that weren't yours. We could go through the whole 10 commandments like 10 canons and just pin you against the wall and just the God would say you're guilty. But you know what? If you believe the gospel, I'll make you my son. You. you wouldn't do that. If somebody stole your stuff and killed your wife and kind of broke up and threw the dog down into the sewer, guess what? You wouldn't say, well, I forgive you because you believe my gospel. You'd want to bust their head open on a sidewalk. And God says, I'm angry with the wicked, but if you turn from your ways and turn to my son, I'll give you eternal life. you. You know what that should reciprocate? Let me honor him. Let me give him something back. Let me try to, you know, be a good son to this great father. Or are you, too, dropping the ball? You got this chance to honor him, and you're dropping the ball. You know, to honor your earthly father, some of you have great earthly fathers. I remember when Mike, uh, a few months ago, right, we had that, that funeral service here for John Murphy, right? And he, was, he seemed like a great guy. And everybody showed up, the place was packed, you know why? Because they wanted to honor John Murphy. They wanted to just, you know, bring some glory to that name, bring some honor to that name, bring some respect and esteem to the name, and rightfully so. And if you've got a great father, whether he's here or not, whether he's gone on ahead of you or not, you know what? The natural thing to do is, I don't want to shame your name, father. I don't want to disrespect your name, father, because when you walk out of the house, son, whether it's Mashania or Murphy, whatever your name is, guess what? You represent my name. You bear my name. Don't dishonor me. You wouldn't want to muddy the name of a good father who did everything for you. So can you just think with me for a second? Do the things you do bring honor or reproach to the name of your heavenly father. If people looked up your name and said, Mishan, you're saved. You know, Jesus Christ? You've you got the name of Christ on your life and you live like that? You talk like that? You think like that? You, you do that? That shames the one that gave you that name. Is your father pleased with the things you've done this week? Why don't you ask him? Right now, why don't you ask him? Hey, Father, you pleased with what I did this week? Why wouldn't you ask him? He's your father, right? You could talk to him, right? You're not dead today, right? You, you know that, right? You, you can respond. If, you, if, if he's your father, you can respond to him. You could talk to him sitting there in your seat. Say, Father, how, how was my week this week? I mean, please, people. He washed you from your sins in his own blood. Don't you want to please him? Isn't there something in you that wants to let him know you're thankful that he did all that for you? And finally, go to Matthew chapter 5. So, Israel dropped the ball in, in being elect. They dropped the ball in being a son. And here's one last quick thing they dropped the ball in. I don't want to drop the ball. Israel was supposed to be a light to the world. But Israel dropped the ball. You know that? They were supposed to be a light to the world. But Israel dropped the ball. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 13. Jesus Christ is speaking to his nation. and He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden. Remember that word trodden from Isaiah 5? Underfoot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and to give it light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, I know we like those verses for our devotional calendars, but Jesus Christ wasn't talking to anybody but his nation right there. And Jesus Christ, the Lord, expected his nation to be salt and light to the world. Salt to preserve life. That's what they that's what they were supposed to be. Salt to preserve life, because you know what? Everything's dying out there, folks. Everything's under the curse of sin. We need some salt to preserve life. That's what salt does. You're supposed to be light to point the way, because the world out there is in darkness. Everybody's blind. They don't know which way is up. They're blind. God, the devil's blinded them. The Bible says they're blind. So he says, I want my people to be salt to preserve life, and light to point the way. And God expected Israel to be a light to the world. Why? What made them special? Because Israel had the scriptures. Because Israel had the words of God. Romans chapter three, verse two says, unto them Israel were committed the oracles of God. They had the light. And if you have a flashlight, you're expected to use it in the dark. You know what else? If you've got a flashlight and you're in the dark finding your way, it's incumbent upon you to help somebody else who's in the dark. Amen. What kind of a jerk are you if somebody's in the dark fumbling and you got your flashlight You're like, see you later, bud. You're a jerk. How can you have the light and not say, here, follow me. I got the light. Let's go. We'll get out of here together. And Israel had the light. They had the light of God's words. They were expected to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. But look what happens. Look at 5.13. The Lord knew what was going to happen. He says, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith it shall it be salted? How do you salt the salt? It's thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Israel didn't preserve life. So the Lord let men walk all over them. He says, I'm just going to let the Gentiles walk all over you. And that's what history tells us happened. The Romans come in in 70 AD and they just turn the city upside down. They destroy it. Titus comes in there and just boom. And the diaspora happens and the Jews are scattered and they're without a nation until 1948. God said it was going to happen. Why? Because you're not. You dropped the ball, Israel. That's why you're here, Israel. Look at uh, chapter 6 of Matthew. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse number 22. Again, he's still talking to the nation. He's still in that Sermon on the Mount, if you want to call it that. And it's this lesson to the people about the kingdom that he was going to bring. And he says in Matthew six twenty two, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Israel ended up looking to evil. It ended up in darkness herself. Isn't that a tragedy? I mean, are you struck with the tragedy of this? What a tragedy. To have the means of helping others and end up lost and astray yourself. Israel had the means to be a light to the world and they start turning to iniquity and God says, I'm going to leave you in the dark when you had the light to save others. That's a sad, sad state, folks. I don't know what makes you sad, but that's very sad. It's like a guy, you know, It's a true story. I know a guy, you know, he was a pharmaceutical rep and he got hooked on the pills he was selling. Ended up an addict, right? He had the means of helping others with their infirmities, and wound up getting hooked himself and being in darkness. You say, that's a sad story about a man. That's a sad story about a nation. They had the light of God's word to give to the world and let it shine, and they wound up turning to Balaam and turning to this one and turning to Assyria and turning to all these false gods, and God said, your eye is evil because you're trying to serve two masters, verse 24. You're trying to serve a second master and pay lip service to God. God says, I ain't having that. That's evil, and now you're in the dark. So, the Lord gave Israel his words, but Israel ended up dropping the ball again. So what does God do? John chapter eight. What does God do? John eight. We're almost done, don't worry. If you endure until the end, you'll be saved. John eight. John eight, verse 12. So, When Israel failed to be the light, the Lord sent his son to be the light of the world. John 8, verse 12. Good verse, right, Matt? Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Wow. Are you saved today? Isn't it good to go into the sun? Oh, it is. (laughs) There's all this science now coming out about the benefits of sunlight, the benefits of sunlight, the benefit, you know, got to get sun on your eyes, got to get sun. It just, it does something to your body. It does something to your cells. There's all this study. out. You know what? I could have told you that 2,000 years ago. It's good to be in the sun. (laughs) Feels good to be in the sun. Not just your vitamin D. It's good for everything to be in the sun. And if you're in the sun, Jesus Christ, and you got the light of life, oh man, that's why when it gets a little rainy out, we get sad. We get seasonal affective disorder. We're all glum because it's raining. I can't go to the beach in the rain. So it's, you know. Doesn't it do something to your mood when it's gray and dull and it's, the sun isn't shining? Doesn't it do something when you walk out of your house on a day like this and the sun is shining? Doesn't that put a little pep in your step? You know, Hey, when you're walking with the sun, if you've got the light of life, Hey, man, you're not in darkness anymore. Woo! That should put a little pep in your step. I know God today. I'm saved today. I got the Holy Spirit today. I know where I'm going. I know how this thing ends. I know I'm on the winning side. Like Josh saying, I know I got a mansion over the hilltop. I know what's going to happen when we see Christ. Hey, let the light of life put a little pep in your step. Just bask in a little bit. Let it shine on you a little bit. You know what? It'll change you. Like it changed Moses, it'll make you shine. John 1 says, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Woo! How did Jesus Christ let that light shine so much? I mean, his face didn't glow. I know how the old church painted the pictures of him. He didn't have a halo. There was no disc over his head. He didn't walk around like a, like a dog that just had operation with a cone over his head that was glowing, all right? He didn't look like that. He would have passed him in the street, and you would not have not known who he was. But when he opened his mouth and spoke, then you would say, whoa, never man spake like this man. It was the words that he gave which showed that life that he had. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So Israel had the words of God, and they didn't let it shine, but Jesus Christ had the words of God, and he told them everywhere he went, and he changed the world because of that. Look at John 8. Look at John 8. Let's look at 28. Look what he said over and over again, That, that role of prophet that he was fulfilling on the earth. He says, Then said Jesus unto them, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Look at verse 38. Look at verse 38 of the same chapter, and look at the first verse, first part of the verse. I speak that which I have seen with my Father. Look at chapter 12. Look at chapter 12 of John. Jesus Christ gave people the words of God. That was something Israel failed to do. Israel dropped the ball. John 12, 48, Jesus says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, But the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. He's like, I'm not giving you my opinions. I'm giving you what God said. Is that what you do? You just give people your opinions, like the the morning analysts, you know. Well, you know, it's blah, 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 blah. That's what they all sound like to me. All these people on CNN and Fox and One News Now and America First and NBC, you know what, they're all starting to sound the same to me. Donkeys or elephants, red or blue—they're all starting to say. There's a few that sound okay. I'll give you that. Most of them sound like teachers from a Charlie Brown Christmas special. like wa 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 and wa 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 his hot air until somebody gets on the network and says, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life. Guess what? They don't really have a solution. When somebody gets on the airway and says, when the Prince of Peace comes from heaven and descends with a shout, you know what? And puts down all wrath and evil. You know what? Then I think we got hope for this planet. I haven't heard anybody say that yet. I've been flicking through the stations and scrolling through the websites, but nobody has said that with an audience yet. Even the ones you like aren't saying that. They're still putting in terms of geopolitics and social mores. Just now they're starting to talk about demons and devils and evil. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Now you got mainstream anchors saying, I think the world's evil. <laughs> I could have told you that long time ago. <laughs> give me your salary. I will tell you what's going on in the world. John Knox said, give me a candle and a Bible and put me in a cave, and I'll tell you what's going on in the world. And 2,000 years ago, John wrote, the whole world lieth in wickedness, because the whole world lieth in wickedness. And now we're just starting to catch up to it. We're just starting to catch up to the fact that there's human trafficking and pedophilia and all kinds of sick, disgusting stuff going on in the background. It's just starting to creep out now, because it's been going on for so long that it can't be hidden anymore. And people are still like, I wonder what's on TV today. (laughs) But if you got a Bible and you're paying attention, like, that's interesting. <laughs> they want to do what? They're saying what? The Bible is the light to guide the way. It's the light to guide the way. Look at John 17. I'm not talking opinions. I'm just talking about Bible. John 17. Look what Jesus could say at the end of his life in John 17, 7. John 17, 7. He's at the end of his life. He's praying this priestly prayer in the upper room to his father. He says, Now they have known that all things whatsoever that was given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. Jesus Christ could come to the end of his life and say, I didn't drop the ball, Father. You gave me the word, and I gave it back. I just put it out there. I let the light shine so others could see what you're really all about. Now let's go to Philippians chapter 2. I got two verses left. I'm hurrying. I'm I'm basically done. Go to Philippians 2. Some of you are done, but I'm almost done. Philippians 2. Look at verse 14. Can I spin it around on you now? Can I just zing you one last time before I send you off to lunch somewhere? Do you have God's words? Amen, Amen? that's like three of you. Do you have God's words? Okay, are you shining your light or are you dropping the ball? Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, that's who you are, remember the verse, John 1, 12. without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, hallelujah, that's coming true, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. God's expecting you to shine in this evil world. And the darker it gets, the easier it gets to shine. It don't take a lot to shine these days. You just got to live a little bit for God, put out a track once in a while, (laughs) stand on a corner, come to Operation Jerusalem with us, help pack the bags, do something. Guess what? It's easy to let it shine when the world is pitch black. And it's pretty much pitch black. So it's pretty easy to let it shine. You say, how do I let it shine? Verse 16 is right there. Holding forth the word of life. (laughs) That's how you let it shine. You let your light shine by holding forth the word with your lips and with your life. I know sometimes you can't always speak it. You can't always say it at work. I get it. I'm there with you. I teach for the beast. I teach for the DOE, right? They'll throw me out the second I do that. I got threatened many a time. But you know what? I can live the right way. I could talk the right way. I could be a halfway decent human being and represent my father the right way so that with my life, I can live the word of God with my actions. You know, when all of Egypt was in darkness back there in Exodus, the Hebrews had light in their dwellings. What what an amazing sight that might have been, right? The people said it was so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And maybe somebody stepped out of their hut or whatever they lived in back there and they looked over there by the land of Goshen. What is that? Do they have lights in their home? I wonder if any of them tried to make their way down to those Hebrews' homes to see if they can get some of the light the Hebrews had and get shelter with the Hebrews, because the Hebrews had the light. Hey, can the world look to your dwelling? You live in this body, right? Can the Lord look to your dwelling and see the light of God in this dark world? Can anybody say, hey, can you, what is going on in the news today? Can you explain this? What is going on with my family today? Can you explain this? Hey, my cousin is sick with cancer. Can you pray for this? Can anybody find you? and find some light to navigate this dark world? Are just sitting with your flash like this? Mine, mine, all oh mine. Right? You're just going to keep the light to yourself or are you going to let it shine? Let it shine. There's a song that my, you know, my father-in-law used to like to play on the guitar. And the words to the verse go, there's a lighthouse on a hillside that overlooks life's sea. When I'm tossed, it sends out a light that I might see. And the light that shines in darkness now will safely lead us over. If it wasn't for the lighthouse, my ship would be no more. And the chorus says, and I thank God for the lighthouse. I owe my life to him For Jesus is the lighthouse, and from the rocks of sin he has shone a light around me that I could clearly see. And if it wasn't for the lighthouse, tell me where would my ship be? Where would you be if God didn't give you his light? You'd be tripping and falling and busting your head. Do you remember when you woke the dungeon flamed with light? I remember. On Friday night, we had some of our youth group pack some of the Operation Jerusalem materials, right? We did a little competition. I manipulated you guys like child labor. I said, We're going to do boys versus girls. Oh, we want to be I said. This is working out perfectly. And in 15 minutes, we packed up almost 400 bags, right? In 15 minutes, my little worker bees just had to put a little incentive behind them, right? Boys versus girls. It was just like they knew they were being manipulated, and they couldn't help it. You know, you know what I did when I started? I went upstairs to my, my office, and I reached on my, my bookshelf, and I pulled out this plastic bag that ziploc and I brought down my Operation Jerusalem bag from 1998. I said, in 1998, on a Saturday morning, April 6th, I think, was when the, what I signed on the book of John. And they said, oh, man, the book of John's falling apart. It's stained." I said, yeah, but you're not allowed to touch this. Cause you see this light? This light saved my life. Yeah. So I let them see it, and I put it back on the shelf. But you know what? I owe my life to the light that God sent into the dungeon. Yeah. And if God gave you his light How can you drop the ball and not give that light to somebody else? How can that be humane? Go to Isaiah chapter 60. We're going to end here and pray. Isaiah chapter 60. Now I know I said a lot of things today and maybe like, oh boy, maybe I am dropping the ball. Can I tell you this? Even though Israel dropped the ball, all is not lost for that nation. In Isaiah chapter 60, it's a prophecy of the second coming of Christ. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse number 1, it says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. He's talking to his people. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, Israel, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. He's saying, Israel, even though you dropped the ball, all is not lost. I'm going to give you another chance to repent and be what God made you to be. And one day soon that will be fulfilled. And then the whole world will see the light in Israel that they were supposed to be and the people they were supposed to be. So you know what that tells me? If we're taking lessons from Israel, if you've dropped the ball, all is not lost for you. God's given you another chance. God's given you another chance. And if the Lord is throwing another opportunity your way to repent and be what God made you to be, it's time we just stop dropping the ball and just pick it up and be what God told us to be. This morning is another chance. Will you answer the call or will you drop the ball again? It's up to you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's have a word of prayer together. Let's pray together. Hey.